Amen. God is good, is He not? God is good. I just wanted to say before we kick off, thank you so very much um, for joining us tonight for Good Friday. My name is Joshua Cahill. I am the lead pastor here. Uh, for those of you who do not know, and for those of you joining us online, thank you very much for being a part of today as we reflect upon this cross. And tonight, uh, we're going to see these different groups of people that Jesus encountered and the responses that they gave to Jesus on the crucifixion. And so, uh, before we dive too deep into uh, Scripture, into the Word of God tonight, um, I want to reflect for just a moment back to February 25th of 2004. Um, it was a Wednesday. I believe uh, it was an Ash Wednesday, to be exact. The first day of Lent. There was a movie that was released that year. And because of that movie, people talked more and more about Easter. And about the crucifixion. And about Good Friday. And it's the movie, The Passion of the Christ. Now, I have watched that movie numerous times. And I'd like to say a couple of things about it. The first thing was that I thought it was gruesome. The movie was gruesome. And I found myself in multiple points moved to tears as I watched that movie. And as I watched it again. And as I watched it again. And that movie itself, though not 100% bibli biblically accurate, uh, as no movie I don't, I don't believe ever could be, that movie showed us what happened to Christ on the cross. The what. But it never ever explained why he went there. Never. So tonight, as we dive into this passage, I would like to take a few moments to reflect on why Christ died and the responses of those that were involved in the crucifixion. So here we are. Jesus has already had the last supper with his disciples. We learned about that on Sunday. And the following night, or that night, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, and they're there to pray. And Jesus finds his disciples fast asleep. As he is praying, sweating blood, knowing what is about to come. He's betrayed. The Roman soldiers come to the garden. They take Jesus. He is brought before the religious leaders. He is brought before Pilate. And then his own people that were shouting, Hosanna, just a few days prior, are now saying crucify. And so, Jesus receives a scourging, a beating, like no other. One that when the whips would hit him, it would tear off the flesh on his body when it was pulled back. And he was left then to carry his own cross to the place where he would be crucified. Now we're going to pick up here in Luke chapter 23. And we're going to begin to read about what happens now. 
After the beating has occurred, after the trial, all of it is over, and now what happens? And Luke says this in chapter 23, verse 26, and it says, And as they led him away, speaking about the Roman guards, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. Now, I want to stop there before I continue reading. There's something very interesting that we need to look at right here with this man, Simon. It says that Simon is from Cyrene. Cyrene is located 800 miles from Jerusalem. And Simon is here to celebrate the Passover festivities with his family, which would last eight days in Jesus' time. Eight days. And Simon, coming, okay, traveled to celebrate this, and he's now forced by Roman soldiers to carry the cross of a condemned man. Now, I need to tell you something. According to Jewish law, if you touched a dead animal or the blood of a human being, you would become what they would call ceremonially unclean, meaning you could not participate in Passover unless you were cleansed by the priest. It kept you away from your family. And because it's Passover, all of the priests are busy. So here this man is with his family, as we see in the other Gospels. He's named with two of his sons. And he's now carrying the cross of Christ. And the very blood that he would have got on him from Jesus' cross would make him unclean. Meaning he could not finish celebrating Passover with his families. You want to know what I find very ironic? The very fact that the blood that would make him unclean, three days later would be the blood that would save sinners. Very ironic. So we pick up now in verse number 27. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, or the place of the skull, which is Golgotha, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on each side to his right and his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, he or his chosen one. Then the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at him or mocked him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do not fear God, or do you not fear God, 
since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And some of the sweetest words that anyone could hear is Jesus' reply saying, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth. And while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last breath. And this is God's word for us tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we read this passage of scripture and every time I hear these words I stand in amazement about what your son had to endure for my sake for our sake because we're sinners and we are gathered here tonight God to reflect upon your cross and the people that we just heard about through this passage of scripture and God I pray right now that you would you would help us to not harden our hearts towards your word God, I pray right now that the Spirit would be active and moving in this place and that he would pierce to our hearts as truth is heralded and brought forth. God, help us to see the purpose of the cross, to reflect upon it, and then respond in remembrance. God, help us to see something fresh and new from your word tonight. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So there are a few responses to the crucifixion that I would like to look at tonight. And the very first one is this, the response of sorrow. The response of sorrow. It says at the very beginning that there was a great multitude of people in verse 27. And of them women who were mourning and lamenting. These women were, were responding to the sight of Christ with tears of sorrow. And yet, Christ responds to their tears with compassion. He is weighed down with the burden of the cross and the burden of their sin. And his thought is not for himself, but on the women's sorrow. Compassion. He turned their sorrow away from his impending death into their own situation. He tells them this. He says, women, do not be sorry for me. Be sorry for yourself, for your children. He's speaking to them about their perilous situation, the place that they find themselves. Do you know, just a few chapters before this, we would read, and Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. It was the second beatitude that we read in Matthew chapter 5. And he's saying you will be comforted. He said, don't look to my pain. Don't look to my suffering. Open your eyes to the fact that they're treating the innocent man this way. How much more punishment will come for the guilty? But he wants them to mourn for themselves. Why? 
because they're sinners. And when you mourn over your sin, I'm not talking about being remorseful over sin. I'm talking about mourning, being broken over your sin. What happens? You're led to repentance. And that's exactly what Christ wants here. He wants us to be repentant over our sin. And so maybe in this room tonight, there is someone who needs to mourn and repent of their perilous situation. Like these women. To say, I am a sinner. I am in need of a savior. Sorrow. The next is the response of indifference. The response of indifference. Look with me back to verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Most of the time we hear that passage, or that verse there in this passage, and people stop right there. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And they begin to talk about forgiving other people. But we never read the rest of it. And what does it say? And they cast lots to divide his garments. They cast lots. I think for me, this is one of the saddest pictures in the crucifixion. Indifference to the suffering of another man. To be apathetic. Indifferent. Not caring about the life of another human. The soldiers in this passage of scripture were so hardened to death by crucifixion that their only concern was material gain. Their only concern. Like what's in it for me? And that was their heart's focus. How truly awful to be indifferent to the cross of Christ. They gambled for his clothes. It says they cast lots. They were involved too much in their daily lives to even notice Christ's death. You want to know what's really sad? As though they may have gained materially, their soul was impoverished. It was lacking. And this is what we see here in the, the indifference of the, the soldiers. But I have a question for us this morning. Or this evening, sorry. I wonder... How often we as believers are indifferent to Christ's death? I wonder how often. How often are we indifferent when we continue to walk into the same sin time and time and time again? I wonder how often we come to church service after church service after church service and we take God's forgiveness for granted and we never ever count the cost. I wonder how indifferent we become when we grow materially while our spiritual side is just weak and we never invest How sad. Maybe tonight 
someone in this room needs to move against the indifference they have towards the cross of Christ. The next response that we see is one of mockery. One of mockery. In verse 35, it says, And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, then the soldiers mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. Even one of the criminals hanging there mocked Christ, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. There were many people in that day who mocked Christ. They mocked him as he was hung on the cross. They hurled insults at him saying, you saved others. Why don't you save yourself? Do you know if we go back and read the other accounts in the synoptic gospels, they even tell Jesus, if you bring yourself down off of this cross, we will believe in you. You ever found yourself in that place? You do this for me and I'll, I'll follow you. They thought it was weakness. That he was not saving himself from the crucifixion. They thought it was rejection by God as he hung on the cross. After all, the Jewish law stated, Cursed is anyone who is placed on a tree. However, we will come to see on Resurrection Sunday, it was not weakness at all. But it was the very power of Christ's love that held him on the cross. It was the very power within him. Indeed, he was cursed by God, but not for something that he did, but for what we would do and what we will do and what had already transpired. That's why he was there. That's why he was hung on the cross. Jesus could not save himself and us. It would not have worked. It would not have worked. And in fact, for those of us in this room who are not believers and the people in that day who did not believe in him, they did not realize that salvation would come because of that cross. It had to happen. It was the only way indifference in that time to his death led to mockery. And how often do we find ourselves in that place? We mock the cross of Christ when we disregard how much it cost to give us salvation. We mock the cross of Christ when we continue in our sin. We mock the cross of Christ when we believe that we can't get away from who we used to be. We say that the cross of Christ was not good enough because this is just who I am and that's not true. It was costly. We mock the cross of Christ when we do not yield to him in our daily lives. So this evening, there's a challenge to every single person in this room. Not just the unbeliever, but to the believer as well. We all need to move against the mocking voices of our life. 
every single person. The next response, though, is probably one of my favorites. It's the response of faith. It's the response of faith. It says that one criminal railed or mocked him, but the other, the other rebuked the other criminal, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And, and he says to him, Jesus is replying here, saying, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Such sweet words. Here is a man in the throes of death who thinks that his internal destiny and grace coming from God will save him from hell. A criminal is placing his faith in Christ here in this moment. He's naked. He's dying on a cross. And when Christ entered Jerusalem, but a few days prior, there's no doubt that that criminal heard that he was coming. There's no doubt that he heard what Jesus was about. There's no doubt at all. None. That he knew why why he himself was hanging there and what was about to come. What was about to come. He listened to the very words that Christ spoke as he hung next to him saying, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. They know not what they do. How amazing for him to hear those words and how they may have stirred up inside of him. And the very light of Christ himself entered his darkened soul. He hears Christ himself declare mercy and forgiveness to sinners. Sinners just like him. Sinners just like you and I. How great. Right? How great is our God? I think we were singing that a little bit ago, right? I want you to look at something, though, very, very important here. And do not miss it. This criminal says, We indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. This man is admitting that he's guilty. He's saying, I am guilty. The punishment that I should receive is just. There is no blaming other people. There is no excuse. He's just confessing, I have done wrong. But then something amazing happens. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's praying a prayer out loud. Don't miss it. He's saying, Jesus, remember me. Remember me. A simple prayer. There is no time. There is no need for eloquence. How many times do we get 
caught up, right? And I'm an unbeliever and I have to pray these 75 words before Christ will save me. Nowhere in scripture, at least in the Bible that I'm reading, that I believe to be 100% accurate and 100% true, does it say that I have to pray the sinner's prayer in order to go to heaven? The Bible that I read tells me that I have to admit that I'm a sinner, just like this guy did. I'm, I'm confessing that I did wrong. I need someone to save me because there's nothing I can do. And the word of God tells us that if we admit that we're a sinner and we know that we need someone to save us, to rescue us, that person being Jesus Christ, it says if we believe that Jesus came and lived a sinless life here upon this earth, if we believe that he died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried and that he was risen three days later by the power of God, it says if we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth, we shall be saved. That's what God's word says. It does not say, say these 10 words and it's okay. It says you have to admit just like this guy did. You have to cry out just like this guy did. You have to know that you need salvation. And that salvation comes from Christ alone. And that is why he's a great God. That's why. And so we're here tonight to reflect upon what he has done for us. To remember. And we see these responses. And so maybe there is someone in here tonight who needs to respond like this criminal. Because guess what? We were all criminals. All of us. But there is something even far greater here that comes with this salvation. You guys want to hear something so cool? I get, sorry, I get jazzed up about God's word. Like, ask, ask Jessica. Like, I'm in the office, and like, I, I sprint out of my office sometimes. And this came to me. So listen, I just, you need to hear this, right? He admits that he's a sinner. He cries out to God for salvation. And what does Christ say? Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Christ is saying salvation happens in an instant. And though it's lived out over the course of our life through sanctification, salvation happens like that. I'm not done. Wait. Jesus used a word here in the text that's very, 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 very important. Jesus said, today you will be with me in heaven. No, what did he say? Paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. The word paradise here, yes, speaks to heaven, but it conveys so much more. Do you know that word paradise there was only used in Jesus' day by a king? It was the word that described the king's private garden. It was the, the garden, the private garden that nobody knew where it was at. Only the king and his people. It was the place that you had to have a personal invitation to walk with the king. And Jesus is saying, you're going to walk with me in my private garden. I grew up. 
in what I would call an indie fundy Baptist church. One that was very legalistic, one that cast condemnation. And there was a song that I, please don't judge me, okay? Okay? There's a song that I used to hear over and over and over and over and over again when I was a kid, and I couldn't stand it. And then I would hear it every time I would go to somebody's funeral. And then I would, like, then every time I would hear it, that's all I would think about. And it was a song in the garden. And it goes like this, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And that song, because of this very word here, brought something very fresh and new to my mind. You get to the chorus of that song and it says, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry, as we stay together, right? It's like nothing that I have ever known. Nothing. And that's what Jesus is saying. I want you to, to come to my personal garden. Mine. And I'm inviting you personally to come. What a wonderful picture of heaven, is it not? The place that we get to walk with the king. Courage. It took courage for this man to put his faith in a dying man. Faith because he believed in Christ for salvation. I think it I think somewhere in the Bible it talks about having faith and that we're, we're saved, right? By grace through faith. Ephesians chapter 2. It's not, a, not anything that man did. It's a gift of God, a free gift of God. <laughs> the response of faith. The response of faith. But the last response I want us to look at tonight before we kind of shift into communion is the response of darkness and forgiveness. The response of darkness and forgiveness. I want us to look at verse 44. And it says it was now about the sixth hour, which for us would be about noon. It's midday. And there was darkness over the whole land until about the ninth hour. And while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last breath. The verses here show God's response to the cross of Christ. His first response was darkness. Now, most of the time, people read this passage of Scripture here, and they get to this, and they automatically run to the sun's light failed. And, and that's it. They think it's nighttime out in the middle of the day. And that's exactly what Scripture states. But that word darkness here is also used in another context. That word darkness, and I can't get too deep into this, so I'm going to try and hold back, okay? But you need to know this. In the creation account, 
the opening of the Bible, it says in the beginning, the earth was was without form and void. And it says that there's darkness, there's nothing there. And it says that God spoke and he said to let there be light. Now when he said that, it was not the sun, the moon, and the stars because they weren't created yet. When God said, let there be light, it was him placing his very presence upon his creation because God is light. Jesus, right here, is about to die. And when this darkness is spoken of, yes, darkness, it says the sun's light failed, but there's a reason why the sun's light failed. It was the very moment in the history of the Bible that had to occur when God removed his presence from the earth. And the only reason he had to do this was because he could not be in the presence of sin. And for him to do this would mean that Christ could die for our sins. And it was in that very moment of time that he was separated from his son for the very first time since all of creation. And so this darkness, yes, is the sun's light failed. But this darkness is that there's no presence of God here anymore because sin had to die once and for all. Darkness brought forgiveness. Christ cries out with his last breath. Like I'm giving you, God, my spirit, and I'm voluntarily laid down my life. And the veil was torn. It was rent. It was ripped in two. And that veil there was the thing that prevented us from coming to God. That's why there had to be priests in the Bible. And God allowed for that that veil to be torn so that we could step into his presence. So that we could approach him as sinners. He made a way through his son to give us the opportunity to come to the throne room of grace. That's what God did for us. And let me tell you what, if you are in here tonight... If you are in here tonight and you do not revere the very thing that we get to come before a holy God, then there's something wrong with your walk. We have the opportunity to come before the holiest of gods, the God, the one true God. And when we get the opportunity to come before him, we should do so in humility. And that's exactly what the criminal did. That's exactly what Jesus did in his response to the Father. And because of the darkness, forgiveness occurred. God declared that he accepted the final payment of the perfect and spotless lamb. Perfect, spotless lamb. He responded with forgiveness for sinners. And so maybe tonight, there's someone in here who needs to move towards salvation. The forgiveness of sin. And do exactly what I was just talking about, what the criminal did. He knew he was a sinner, he admitted it. And he cried out to the only 
person who is able to save Christ. In Christ alone. That's why that song says, in Christ alone, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. So my question to you this evening is, what is your response? What is your response? Where do you need to move? Do you need to move against your sin by mourning it? Do you need to move against indifference that may be causing your life to be stagnant, not growing? Maybe you need to move against mockery of, of the cross. Maybe you need to move in faith and receive forgiveness, knowing that my sin keeps me in darkness. So what's your response? I, I can't answer that question for you. I, I wish I could sometimes. I, I wish that I, 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 could, I could make people see. I wish I could drag people to heaven with me and it does not work that way. I wish people would understand what we have and what we can receive because of what he endured. You don't have to know everything about God's word. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to clean up. God will take your mess. He took mine. He still takes it. So how are you going to respond? We gathered here tonight to reflect on the cross. And one of the perfect ways that we reflect and remember is the Lord's Supper, communion. You know, the reality is, is that um, we often lose our passion for the things of God. Would you guys agree with that? We lose our passion for the things of God. Our love for Christ and, and his, his church oftentimes grows cold or indifferent. And I would like to read a couple of verses. And these verses, Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth. And that's exactly where they are. They're in a place of indifference towards God. And, and they're in open sin. There's fighting. There's discord amongst the believers. There is a lack of love. There is a lack of unity here in this church at Corinth. And this is what Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I will read it. Um, but it says this. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, and that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, 
which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant. We learned about that on Sunday. The new covenant is my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He's saying, do this often to remember what I have done. And he says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. I'm going to stop right here for just a moment. Paul is saying unworthy two different ways. One, he is saying if you are a believer and you are living in open sin, if you're quarreling with your brother and your sister, if you are not at peace and unity in the body, then you are unworthy to take communion before him. I'm, I'm going to explain more in just a moment. He's also talking about those who are non-believers. Saying, this is a family meal. This is one, this is a meal that we have together as a body of Christ to remember what he has done. So he's saying, do not take, if you are not a believer, if you are not a part of his family, if you've not been set free through the free gift of salvation. But then, Paul didn't stop there. He said, let a person examine himself. Then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Paul is admonishing the church here to reflect and remember the cross. He's saying, go back and examine where you are at. But then there's something very important here. In Jesus' day, they used something for communion called the common cup. Now, before you guys freak out, okay, it was the cup that they, they all drank out of. And I know your first thought is, that's gross. I want hand sanitizer. <laughs> and though I would so support that thought... There was something about the common cup. The common cup and the breaking of the same loaf of bread was to show that we were in unity under the same God, the God, the common cup. And though we will not be doing that this evening, as we receive these elements tonight, we should still have the same mentality. We should still be in unity. There should be nothing that divides us. Not our ethnicity, not our social standing, not our sin, not nothing. There should be no barrier between us as the body of Christ. There should be absolutely nothing between you and another brother or sister in Christ in this room or outside of this room. Our relationships on this earth will never ever be perfect, and there's, but there's nothing and there should never be something that would prohibit us from partaking in communion and remembering what Christ did on the cross.
Why? Because as a family, we share in that remembrance. Do you know that when Jesus died to pay for our sins, John reminded us that because God loves you, you ought to love other people. Friends, family, if you want healthy relationships, you must remember, reflect, and respond to the love of Christ and what he's done for you in your life. The Lord's Supper should serve as an act of remembrance, renewal, and response. Why? Because we have been redeemed and recreated. So tonight, we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to ask of you, I'm going to ask of you to come forward to this table or the one in the very back of the worship center here in just a moment to receive your communion kit. I'm going to ask that you don't open that kit and you do not partake of that kit um, until I can walk us through biblically why and what each piece is and what it signifies. And I believe it's important for us to constantly remind ourselves in communion as to why we take it. And so I'm going to ask of you, as a song is played, to be in an attitude of prayer. A moment where you respond and reflect upon what was spoken tonight. Where do I need to be? What do I need to move against? Ask God like David did, search me. And if there is anything in me, reveal it. Be like David. An attitude of prayer. Respond to God. You can pray at your seat. You can pray here at the altar. And if you're in here and you need to move towards salvation and forgiveness, then that's the step that you need to take so that you can partake with us because we want you to. We want you to be a part of our family. Not just here at the church but in the family of Christ. And so I'm just going to ask you to please stay in an attitude of prayer as this song is played. And um, I will close us in prayer and, and we will rejoin in scripture in just a few minutes.
storm it raged, the ocean spoke while you were sleeping in a boat. Angry and afraid, I came and woke you. Three words before the winds were ceased, peace be still, then you turned to me. My child, have faith to Died, my 
To respond to your cross in this place tonight. God, we, we ask that you would help us to see your wounds for our sins. God, we ask that you would help our indifference in the ways that we mock and the ways that we need to move towards mourning our own sinfulness. Help us to move in faith like the criminal. Help us to receive forgiveness. Forgiveness only you can give. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There are two focal points that I want us to see as we partake in the Lord's Supper. These symbols here have no saving power. None. The bread here symbolizes the body of Christ. The text says that Christ's body was broken for us. What this means is that this bread... Jesus' body gives life. He gave his physical body so that we could have spiritual life. The Bible says this in John chapter 6. Jesus is speaking and he said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eats of this bread, speaking of himself, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give, or I will give, is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. When we gather and we take the bread of the Lord's table, when we break it, when we pass it amongst ourselves, we are reminding ourselves that Jesus is our life. He is the one by whom we live. And if Jesus is to be our power by which we obey God's commands, we're able to see that he's the one to forgive. He's the one that gives mercy and grace. And his life in us enables us to do the same. So it says that you are to give thanks over each element. And so I'm going to pray and we are going to, we're going to take the the wafer, the bread portion of the service. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, Lord, and we thank you. We thank you that your body was broken for us. God, there are not enough words 
to be spoken that could say thank you enough. There is not enough that we could do, but God, I pray that we would remember your body being broken for our sins. God, help us to see you tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. We can take our way for it. And it says also, in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of my new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This cup symbolizes the blood of Christ. It's the blood of the new covenant that was given. The blood is the end of his life. And in us, it symbolizes our old life is now dead. And that there is a new life in us, and that's Christ. The cup means that we agree that we no longer live for ourselves, that we're living for Christ. And when we drink it, we are publicly proclaiming together that we agree to the death sentence of our old self. It's the bread that gives us new life. It's the blood by which that new life flows through us. And he says, as often as you take this bread, do this, and you drink this cup, he says, do this in remembrance of me. God, I, I come to you. Lord, in, in the blood that was shed on the cross for our sins, help us never to forget. God, help us to, to remember every day that you give to us, God, I pray that we would remember and we would reflect upon the blood that was spilled to save us. God, you didn't have to, but you chose. And so help us to choose every day to live this new life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And it says, when Jesus and took the last supper with his disciples. It says when they finished, after they had given thanks to the Lord, it said that they sang a hymn, a song. And so the band does not know that I'm going to actually ask them to come back to the stage. <laughs>